This is an Australian Museum podcast. Welcome to Amplify, a regular conversation featuring Australian Museum Director and CEO Kim McKay, speaking to researchers, scientists and other fascinating people from behind the scenes at the Australian Museum. Hello and welcome to the Australian Museum's podcast, Amplify. I'm Kim McKay, the Director and CEO of the Australian Museum, where I get to interview some of our fantastic research scientists and staff who are doing extraordinary work here at the museum. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome again ecologist Dr Richard Major. Welcome, Richard. Good morning. It's fantastic to see you because Richard... You know, if you go into his office, he's surrounded by birds and exciting projects. Richard spent over, what, 25 years at the Australian Museum, I think? That's right, Jane. Well, that's a lifelong commitment, so you must love birds, Richard. I do, and uh, I like, well, I like understanding how birds fit into the environment, and I'm really interested at the interactions between people and birds and how human activities are affecting, changing uh, animal populations. Absolutely. And it's one of the great things about living in Australia. You know, when we travel overseas, the first thing I often notice is that there are no birds. You know, and here I get to live in a community of birds who are squawking rampantly every morning outside my bedroom window. Yeah, it's a, it's a very special city, Sydney, but actually all our Australian cities have this in, in common, that we've got really in-your-face birds that tend to live in the cities that are doing well with people. So parrots in particular are such a rich conspicuous noisy pretty fauna and they are doing very well with people so lorikeets yeah yeah so all the parrots the lorikeets cockatoos even uh, crimson rosellas galahs we're seeing corellas flocks of corellas through the city at the moment now there's always something interesting in the the big bird line they're the winners in the city the small birds aren't the losers but still i think we should really revel in our big birds and how lucky we are to have such a fantastic snapshot of biodiversity in our backyards. Oh, I, th- I think so. I mean, it's to me part of being Australian that I get to see cockatoos and that I get to see lorikeets who, you know, come up to the window and want to be fed all the time. Of course, I don't do that, you'll be pleased to know. Uh, but also kookaburras. You know, how lucky are we to have this beautiful bird? And yet the early settlers in Australia commented that, oh dear, we, you know, Australia is lacking the songbirds, but we have our own songs. Yes, that's, they lamented the fact that they, the sort of sweet sounds weren't, the dulcet tones weren't there, but there were these squawkers and squawkers. And um, yeah, they're, they're, they're very special. They're very they conspicuous are, and they are just part of our lives. They are, but I think squawkers, Squawkers much more uh, aligned with the Australian character than the songbirds, don't you think? Yes, although it doesn't mean that people like them. So, you yeah. know, that there's love-hate relationships with birds like the cockatoos, the rainbow lorikeets, and a lot of those other big birds. You know, ibis, currawongs. They're all doing well. They all have their issues. Yeah, they sure yeah. are. Now, the one I want to talk, start talking to you about today first, of course, is the cockatoo. I've been having my own little urban battle with a friendly cockatoo who's been pecking away at my window ledge lately and being very aggressive there in it. And, uh, of course, I think he's doing it to spite me because I won't feed him. 
Yeah, and often they will do that when you stop feeding them, and they, you know, they'll start on the windowsill. So I don't know how long you've been in your house where you had a previous feeder. There. I think I think it's a neighbour. I live in an old apartment block, and I think one of my neighbours does it. So I'll blame them for that for that aggressive cockatoo who's visiting me. Yeah, but they are they know where their food is, and they will move around a number of food sources where people feed them, and that's partially what we're looking at with one of our projects at the museum. So here at the Australian Museum, we've got the Australian Museum Centre for Citizen Science, which enables the public to engage actively in environmental monitoring and biodiversity monitoring and really getting a first-hand feel for what's happening out there in the local environment and being able to provide the data so people like you can assess it. So one of those great projects is the Cockatoo Wing Tag project, which the Australian Museum is doing in collaboration with the Royal Botanic Gardens yes, and it. also the University of Sydney, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So tell us about the Cockatoo Wing Tag project. Well, cockatoos are one of those really conspicuous birds and Lots of people love them and lots of people hate them, but we don't know a lot about them. And we thought he was a really good target animal for citizen science project to understand the relationships between birds, people and the environment. So with this project, we have tagged 100 cockatoos with... um, these numbered tags on their wings. These are yellow tags that sit on the outer wings, of course, and you can see them around the city quite clearly, can't you? That's right, yeah. And they So there's a 100 of those with, with tags, and then we're asking people to record where they see these tags. And because it's a big bird, you can put quite a big tag on it and people can see them. So that's a, a start. You know, other birds I've worked on have such tiny little legs it's you can't expect... You know, people without specialised optics to see them, but these are, you know, they're conspicuous birds with big tags, and so we're getting lots of reporting. Like all our hundred birds has been reported by someone, and many of them hundreds of times, in fact. So that's right, and there are many personalities emerging in these birds too, aren't there? Yeah, and there's one one other special thing about it is that we have got this. You know, everyone has a phone now and they're big enough to photograph. So not only do we get people's uh, records of what they see, we can also get these confirmed records. We actually get a photograph of it and it's quite a fun thing to do as well. All the cockatoos have been named, which works out quite well. So when you use the app to get in, you don't know what the name of the animal is. You just get the number. But as soon as you've registered it, it comes back on your app telling you the name of the, the bird. And that's something people find a lot of fun. So you can just Google Cockatoo Wing Tag Project and uh, go to the Australian Museum site or the Royal Botanic Garden site or Sydney Uni, download the app, and then you're off and running with your um, smartphone, basically, and you can be a citizen scientist, yeah, yeah. which is great fun. I've done it myself quite a few times because I'm surrounded by these beautiful birds, both here at work at the Australian Museum, we're just near... Uh, the domain and the Royal Botanic Gardens and Hyde Park so we have lots of flocks nearby don't we? Yeah and look we have got thousands of records and in fact thousands of photographs and we've got another citizen science project now that the digivols are doing here where they're going we should just say who digivols are digivols aren't a species from outer space digivols are our digital volunteers who come into the museum or work remotely from their computers recording our incredible collection so we've got something like 18 and a half million species and objects in our collection here at the australian museum and many of them 
have little tags attached to them that were handwritten in the 1800s and early 1900s, which need digital transcribing. So Digivol is just an extraordinary project created by the Australian Museum. So when they're taking a break from recording what's on the tags, we've got another project where they're looking at our cockatoo photographs and they're scoring these photographs for what the cockatoos are doing. And one of the questions we're quite interested in is handedness in cockatoos, so left hand and right hand. We do know that, that cockatoos are handed, but there hasn't been a lot of work done on it. Are they really? Yes, but so having thousands of photographs, our digivols are now scoring these photographs, which leg they're holding something in, and building up a picture in that regard, as, as well as other stuff about habitat and feeding. So what's that going to tell us if a cockatoo is left-handed or right-handed? Well, don't you want to know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, the birds and animals, they do. They, they add a lot of quality to our lives. And there's, right, you can try and find something functional about it, but it's really just, in, you know, there's a lot of interest, a lot of inspiration we get from nature. And so knowing about it, I think, is just worthwhile in its own right. I think so too, and it's a lot of fun as well for the public to engage with this. I, I know for kids it's a great thing to get out there with their smartphone and take pictures of cockatoos with these little yellow tags and uh, be part of this great project. But you've got another one now happening called Hollows' Homes. Tell me about Hollows' Homes. Yeah, so this is again, grown out of the Cockatoos Wing Tag Project, which is because we've had such a great response to that one, we thought, well, now it'd be nice to collect some more data directed towards conservation about uh, a key resource that the hollow that that cockatoos use. So, cockatoos and all our Australian parrots they all nest in tree hollows, and you can imagine that with urbanisation we've lost a lot of trees and we've lost a lot of old trees, and hollows take a long time to to grow. You know, how, how, do they, how are they created in a tree? Well, see, unlike um, America, we don't have any woodpeckers that mm. actually dig, excavate hollows in trees. So Australian tree hollows are formed from um, fungus and termite activity. So they're slow, slow to grow. We need to get a, you know, a break in the tree, a branch comes off, fungus invades, and then there's a slow decomposition. So hollows take a while to develop. But of course, we're so keen in urban environments to have trees that might not fall down. So if someone sees a tree that might have a an inf- fungus infestation and a hole in it, they go and chop it down, don't they? Where, in fact, they're destroying the, the habitat for all of these birds. Yeah, so that's what this project is really doing. It's taking a bit of a census of the hollows across urban areas, uh, across Sydney. It's starting with Sydney. We're hoping this project can go statewide, but we're sort of piloting it in Sydney. And we're asking people to look for hollows in their gardens or in their street trees or in their bit of bush or in a paddock, whatever, and uh, register this hollow so we know the locations of them and how far they are from bushland and tell us the attributes, how, how big it is, how it faces, because we you know, we want to know what sort of hollows animals like, and then to monitor it from time to time and tell us what activity we see at the hollow. And by having many people taking part in the citizen science project, we hope to build up a good picture of what hollow availability is like, how much competition there is for hollows, and what we might need to do to look after this hollow resource. So guiding things like um, well, planting of new trees, retention of particularly important trees, nest boxes, even cutting hollows some councils are starting to do with actually making hollows in trees specifically for this. And, and this you know, research, this citizen science, should provide information to 
guide these activities. What what a fun project to get the whole family involved in, to go out there searching around your local community for these hollows and monitoring them. Now, I know there are some 30 councils across the Sydney region already involved in this project, which is led by the Royal Botanic Gardens with the Australian Museum and Sydney University. Where did the funding come from for this? So it's come... It's come from the federal government, but via a coalition of councils, Sydney's Salty Council. So the 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 coastal ones. Yeah, the coastal ones. That, it's a great group that actually. It's yeah, done so, a lot to protect the local coastal environment. Yeah, so this was a a grant that they've funded, which has enabled us to build the website and have a project officer to run the volunteers. Great. So people can just Google Hollows as Homes, look on the Australian Museum website or indeed the Botanic Gardens or Sydney University and you'll find your way to it there. And it's just a great project to get involved in. I think it's a, something that every family in Sydney should do is engage in some level of citizen science. You know, I've been a long advocate of that from my days when we started Clean Up Australia and just counting the amount of rubbish we collected on the day gives you an insight, but it also provides data. And these days, scientists need the help of the public, don't they, to collect data? It is, you get data on a grand scale we couldn't go out and do a census of tree hollows across sydney so no. it's um yeah it's a, a fantastic way of getting broad scale garden data and we can answer different questions and of course the great thing as we said before like with the cockatoo project is now we've got this computer in our hands our smartphones and we can do so much with them in terms of Uh, translating that data instantly, taking a photograph, getting the GPS location of something, being able to input the data so it becomes very easy. You know, it really opens up a whole new world, I think, for the public. Yeah, Um, well, thank you for mentioning that because as well as getting feedback on your hollow, that's how we are transmitting the the data is from your tablet or your smartphone. That's the, the interface where you're providing the the data on your tree hollows with its GPS reference to. Well, it makes it so easy and it's a really great way, I think, to engage the public but also to enable you as a top research scientist in this field to be able to analyse that data and make those recommendations so that our urban environments continue to have great biodiversity in them and allow these wonderful bird species to thrive. Yeah, that's a, it is a, a changing, very much a changing environment, the urban area. Um, and, you know, we've got winners and losers and whatever we can do to try and keep a good diversity of animals, I think, you know, serves us well. Fantastic. It's been great speaking with Richard Major today, who is a research scientist at the Australian Museum. He's an ecologist who specialises in birds. And I know, Richard, uh, we have a great bird gallery, don't we, at the Australian Museum with the really thousands of birds on display. So we urge the public to pop in and take a look. Good. Thank you for joining me. And I'll speak to you again on another edition of Amplify at the Australian Museum. This has been an Australian Museum podcast.